and welcome to PathPod. This is our next episode of Beyond the Scope. Today our hosts, Dr. Kamar Mirza and Lily Cullen of Loyola University Stritch School of Medicine, speak with Dr. Gary Prokop, Medical Director of Clinical Microbiology and Infectious Disease Pathology at the Cleveland Clinic. We'll hear their conversation about Dr. Prokop's work in COVID-19 testing, his role in a national testing strategy, and the importance of involving pathology and laboratory medicine in health policy. We'll also hear his vision for the American Board of Pathology as the new incoming Chief Executive Officer. Now here's your hosts, Dr. Mirza and Mr. Cullen. Welcome to this episode of the PathPod podcast. My name is Kamran Mirza. Today on Beyond the Scope, my co-host Cullen Lilly and I are interviewing Dr. Gary Prokop. Dr. Prokop is a medical director in clinical microbiology and an infectious disease pathologist at the Cleveland Clinic. He holds the Belinda Yen Lieberman PhD and James Lieberman MD endowed chair in clinical microbiology and is the director of molecular microbiology, virology, mycology, and parasitology laboratories and the vice chair for education. He is past chair of the departments of clinical and molecular pathology and past section head for clinical and molecular microbiology. As medical director of virology, Dr. Prokop is responsible for COVID-19 testing at the Cleveland Clinic and was an integral part of an interdisciplinary team resulting in Cleveland Clinic being the first hospital in Ohio to offer COVID-19 testing. The research conducted by Dr. Prokop and his team on the sensitivity and diagnostic accuracy of the five most commonly used rapid tests has been featured in national media outlets and helped spark a closer look at the COVID-19 rapid tests currently on the market. Dr. Prokop currently serves as the chair of the American Society for Clinical Pathologies Commission on Science, Technology, and Policy. On January 1st, 2022, he will be assuming the role of Chief Executive Officer of the American Board of Pathology. Okay, so welcome to the podcast, Dr. Prokop. Well, thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. We would like to start off with asking you what drew you to pathology initially and how you ended up choosing your current career as a molecular microbiologist and um, what the training path was like. Yeah, you know, it kind of was a little bit of a circuitous path. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I've, I've told this story before, I, I will never forget, you know, sitting and, and, and this was back in the day. So I'm going to uh, show some of this gray hair. And, uh, it, you know, it was uh, movie day in science class in eighth grade, I think. And, and back in that movie day, uh, we had film and it actually rolled from one reel to another and there was no sound. Um, but it, it, it showed, uh, physicians, you know, in the heart of Africa, um, dealing with, um, you know, tropical infectious diseases, vaccine distribution, um, uh, serendipitously enough. And, you know, just became really interested in microbiology and infectious diseases and, uh, started down a path, you know, towards a PhD in microbiology and then, you know, became interested in the, the um, you know, human medical side of things and, you know, took the path of, of pathology. And I was real I, during medical school, wasn't sure if I wanted to do pathology or infectious diseases. And um, I got a B in my infectious diseases rotation. And their criticism was, you know, you're a little too interested in the laboratory. 
And so uh, I think they were pointing me in a direction. And I, I was interested in the lab. I always loved patient care. And I think they had a pretty decent bedside manner. But, um, you know, I, I think, you know, the laboratory, the microscope, I, I, I love the definitive diagnosis coming out of pathology and laboratory medicine. I still think we're the doctor's doctor. Um, I think there's some of that title that needs to be regained. Um, and, you know, I, that's what, one of the reasons we, we really want pathologists with, you know, great communication skills who are going to see, the, uh, see themselves in the system. Where are they in systems-based practice? And, you know, if you're not invited to the table of uh, clinical care in your healthcare institution, push your way up to it you know, belly up to the bar and you're part of that critical team. And when they see what you deliver, that you actually have information that they don't have, um, you, you know, you, you will really be valued. So, you know, from, um, from, from medical school into pathology, you're really always with an eye on microbiology as a subspecialty. Uh, really enjoyed all of residency training and, um, you know, kind of in, in, in consistent with the, um, or congruent with, I guess, clinical microbiology, you know, really fell in love with the anatomic pathology side of uh, infectious diseases. And they really complement each other nicely. And, you know, when we have residents and fellows rotate through, uh, we have an infectious disease consult box here and, and, and the microbiology uh, residents and fellow will check that box and, you know, they'll, they'll see what consults I get from our other anatomic pathologists. And, you know, I think that's really a real AFB. How would you characterize these fungal elements and the like? And, you know, through that, we have a great opportunity to correlate anatomic pathology with clinical and molecular findings and see what's going on clinically. And so I, I, you know, I tell them, I say, this is an iron triangle of care delivery. You know, you, you can't, it doesn't get any better than this when you're looking at the anatomic pathology and you can see what, what the inflammatory response is. You see what the direct exam or the culture is growing and you see what's going on with the patient. That is, you know, in my mind, kind of the ultimate in care delivery. You know, you're probably making a ton of trainees so jealous right now. I'm jealous too. I mean, I had fantastic microbiology training, but what a treat to be able to kind of look at it, you know, through your eyes or to work with you uh, with all those different types of samples. Yeah, and we have great fun doing it. That's yeah, and you actually, I, you have a book out with uh, Dr. Bobby Pritt about infectious disease and um, infectious disease pathology specifically. So how did, could you talk a little bit about how that came about? Yeah, you know, we, we actually had another book before that one. And, um, you, you know, I am, I, I'm a guy that I guess needs some prodding or maybe can't say no enough to people. And uh, I was just not, it, it's in, you know, Dr. Goldblum's series of diagnostic uh, pathology. And, you know, I was late, late, late on getting that book out. And it, it also just has some amazing authors in that. And, you know, I was just getting ready uh, to, to, to bail on that. And, uh, you know, Dr. Goldblum said, you know, what, what if we got you a, a, you know, a great, a great, you know, co-editor or, or, or the like. And, and so, uh, Dr. Dr. Pritt and we had known each other for years and are, are good friends. And so she, she was, uh, she was my prodder as well as, uh, you know, I've learned much from her over the years too. And we've shared many great cases. 
And so I give her the credit for helping to get that book over the finish line. And then we, of course, have both worked uh, on CAP, Micro Resource Committee. She followed me as chair of that committee. And, um, you know, during that time, CAP does, you know, many of these publications, and that's a CAP publication. So she took the lead on that one and invited myself and, and other uh, co-authors on that who are, you know, cut from the same cloth, if you will. Amazing, amazing. Um, and so really in during this time, during the COVID-19 pandemic, I feel like molecular biology, molecular diagnostics have really taken a forefront. Um, and with you being a molecular microbiologist, uh, what has it been like uh, in your position during this pandemic? So it's funny, you know, I, I spent about a year and a half at University of Miami and they asked me to come back and give grand rounds. And, and the title of the grand rounds was pipetting in a firestorm. And so that, that, that's what it was like, you know, at the very beginning. And, you know, and, and, and we, we've written on this in a number of venues. And, you know, I, I can't say enough. And, and as I said, you know, we, we have said in our saying in, in print, um, the importance of a strong laboratory infrastructure. Uh, you know, we would never have been able to respond and I'll never forget, I called our chief of, of operations on a Saturday when FDA dropped the embargo on patholo on laboratories being able to test for SARS-CoV-2. And I asked him, should we bring this up? And, uh, you know, he said, absolutely. And I asked for a month for the validation and he gave me a week. And, uh, you know, not credit to me, but credit to the you know, skilled medical technologists, uh, you know, supervisors, et cetera, that we have in the laboratory, they got it done. And, you know, they got it done in a manner that they were working themselves to the point of exhaustion. I had to tell these people, you know, you need to go home. You're going to be good to nobody if you, uh, you know, if you fall out. But that's the kind of dedication we have from our laboratorians, you know, at all levels. Um, so, but that never could have happened without a strong laboratory infrastructure. And, you know, I'm writing a commentary right now and, and a portion just for, 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 for uh, word limit's sake I had to take out was, you know, every five years, every seven years, somebody high up in administration asks a question of, can we outsource the laboratory? And of course, you know, you know and, and we go through the process of having to reestablish our value. You know, and we, we, you know, of course, we've done that successfully and mo most of the large academic places can, but some of the smaller places can and their infrastructure suffers and they are not able to respond, you know, be it to, you know, a pandemic or a new clinical need, et cetera. So, you know, I just think it's critical that really at all levels, and, and, and I'm definitely a fiscally sound guy. For all we've written on, you know, laboratory stewardship and test utilization, you know, we understand the finances of medicine and, you know, want to, of course, reduce waste, but not at the expense of weakening the infrastructure of the laboratory. Right. You know, and so I, you know, I think as we demonstrate our value, you know, to the C-suite that, you know, that's a way to keep the infrastructure of the laboratory uh, strong. But, you know, we, we, we can't, and I hate to say this, but we can't do that just by doing the great work we do. You know, we've got to do the great work we do at the microscope or at the bench or, you know, in the laboratory. And then we also have to get out. We've got to be a presence at tumor boards. We've got to be a presence at, you know, infectious disease conference. 
And so that they are asking us questions that they don't know. Right. We are the resource. And I'll never forget the last time we went through this exercise of uh, can you outsource the laboratory or can you outsource the part, part of the laboratory? One of the urologists said, um, and I don't know, this is not an exact quote, but it basically was, you know, I don't care what you do with this, but don't touch my urologic pathologist. And I said, that is what you want to be. You want to be indispensable to whoever your clinical colleagues are. And so if you're not indispensable, you, you know, you're, you're, you're under threat to be outsourced. So be indispensable. And that, that, you know, to me, that begins by, first of all, being a master of your craft, right? You've got, if anybody knows more about my testing than me, then I'm falling down on the job. That's my job, right? Um, and so be the master of your craft. And then also, uh, you know, strengthen these other muscles, you know, great communication skills, get on additional committees in your hospital and, you know, make friends outside the laboratory. And again, it really adds to the value, not of, just of yourself as an individual, but it strengthens the profession. No, I love that. I think that, you know, this, uh if there's anyone we would want pipetting in the firestorm and getting rid of the firestorm, it's you and your team. That's wonderful. I think, you know, how you've mentioned, and there's so many great examples of like, you know, trying to be at the table, at the right table and being in, in, indispensable, like you've mentioned. You know, I think it, it really, uh, you know, behooves us to talk about health policy now, right? And the idea that what is the role of pathologists and laboratory medicine in health policy? Uh, and you obviously have various roles in national kind of uh, organizations that are addressing these issues you've mentioned, obviously, test utilization, etc. Uh, and you also, you're involved in that national conversation surrounding science policy in pathology and laboratory medicine. So can you talk about what drew you to serve in that, uh, you know, in that capacity? Uh, you know, obviously, there is a need to be on the table. Uh, but, you know, kind of tell us about your journey. Yeah, you know, again, you know, I, I think the way that things happen, are, um, you know, are, are odd. I don't know if you've ever read the book Outliers, but, you know, the, um, the author explains, you know, how do you make, uh, you know, how do you make a Bill Gates or how do you make a Steve Jobs, et cetera. And, you know, it seems like there are people that are just in these great leadership positions. But if you connect the dots, you can, you know, see how they actually got there. And, and, you know, I think, you know, first of all, of, you know, I, I think going back to you got to master your craft. And so if if you are not the top of your field in what you claim to be, then you can't be much more. So, you know, you got to, you know, you've got to, you know, have a decent bank account before you start thinking about investing in the stock market, right? So, you know, there are steps, you, you know, so we, we've got to be, uh, you know, you've got to be a master of your craft first. And then after that, and I'll never forget, our, our head of education here is a, a you know, world-renowned pulmonologist in, um, in, in uh, alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency, and, and he's now our institute chair of education. And he, he said, and I remember him telling this story, he said, you know, when I was training, all I wanted to do was learn how to manage the vent. All I wanted to do was learn how to manage the vent. And he said, you know, after 10 years, I just came in and it was another day of managing the vent. So I think once you master your craft, um, you know, you, you, you uh, still love what you do. I still love microbiome and infectious diseases, but 
you know, you, you really have become very good at it. And now you can start expanding uh, in, in other areas. You know, in, in a meeting I was, I was just on, you know, Dr. Myers from University of Michigan was there and he's the vice chair of clinical affairs and quality. I mean, we've got a pathologist in charge of clinical affairs at University of Michigan. How awesome is that? Yeah, you know what I mean? So these are the types of things. You master your craft, and then where do you want to explore? And so, you know, if you're a great educator, you know, go in that direction. If you're really business savvy, maybe you want to get more involved in, in, in the management side, uh, the quality side, et cetera. So, so there are so many other things that pathologists can do in addition to the great things that we do. And, you know, traditionally we've not done that. Why is it a pediatrician running quality? We were doing quality in path and lab medicine before quality was cool. Uh, you're absolutely right. I think that, you know, it's, it's interesting that uh, there are uh, organizations and obviously institutions across the country where we see pathologists at different levels, uh, you know, of, of administration. And and I, I wonder if like anyone has ever done a study about like the success of those institutions and depending on like the, you know, the roles of like what pathologists are doing in a, in a, in a hospital system. You think about things such as lab test utilization and then there, com there are committees and committees and none of the pathologists are on it. And so where are you going to go, you know, with that type of a situation? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, and I think that it really comes down to communication. So ultimately, uh, you know, taking us back to, you know, COVID-19, I'm sure you're sick of talking about COVID-19. But, you know, in the early days, obviously, there was so much miscommunication. And from your perspective, you know, now that we're hopefully looking at a post-pandemic time, you know, fingers crossed some sometime in the future, uh, looking ahead, uh, how are some ways learning the lessons we've learned? How can we get better prepared for the next pandemic? Yeah, well, you, you know, and I, I have to give ASCP a lot of credit. You know, they put out a request, a call for a national testing strategy. And, and so I think there is a real opportunity for pathologists. And I would love to see our pathology groups, our ASCPs, CAPs, USCAPs work together and not all on the same thing independently. I mean, we really need a, a more unified voice. And, and you know, and, and again, these are additional societies, American Society for Microbiology. Um, I will say this, and I've, you know, I've been, I've been critical of our own field uh, for many years in this manner, and that is Infectious Disease Society of America, of which I am both a member and a fellow, is writing the guidelines about testing. I thought we were in charge of testing. I'm glad that if we're not going to do it, some competent people like that are. But, you know, I mean, we're not writing the, the guidelines on, on vaccination because that's not our field. But we are the experts on testing. Why are we letting other people write, write the guidance about what we do? And so I'm really pleased that, you know, in anatomic pathology, I think there are you know, probably much more, there's much greater guidance on how to handle uh, resection specimens appropriately and, you know, what do you need to look for and how many nodes do you need to find and, and the like. So, you know, I think that is, you know, going in the right direction. The checklists for anatomic pathology, I think, are very positive. But we've really not taken our place at the table on how to most effectively use testing. And, you know, to, to your example, at the very beginning of this, 
Um, you know, everybody's swir- so many people are swirling around serology as a diagnostic test for an acute viral infection. Well, you know, we don't use serology and in, in influenza diagnosis. Why would we do it in another respiratory virus? And, you know, there was a lot of reinventing the wheel. And, you know, I really think it took pathologists and laboratory med- and medicine professionals to step up and say, no, that's nonsense. We've done this for 50 years. We know what we're talking about. But, you know, so, so I, I, I think a real collective, a national tra- testing, you know, national testing guidance that comes from real testing experts is needed. Absolutely. And everything you've said, I mean, has been inspiring. Um, I know a lot of people in my generation and my training generation, I guess I should say, um, definitely look up to you and look up to the leaders in the field. And uh, it's just amazing to see that uh, this is kind of an opportunity for us to step up and um, voice who we are and what we do. And um, with that, uh, we would like to formally congratulate you as the incoming CEO of the American Board of Pathology, a vital role in training pathologists. So um, what is your view on how the pandemic has affected pathology education overall? And as we look forward, what does pathology education look like in a post-pandemic world? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think pathologists, first of all, are, are wonderful natural educators. You know, it's tough to not be at, at a scope and, you know, share uh, what you've learned with the, the person you're there with. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm, this is my week on rounds and, you know, I've got, you know, four people with me and, you know, we just have a wonderful time going bench to bench and looking at interesting cases and, and, and sharing. So, you know, I, I think as a, as a profession, you know, many, many more of us than less of us just love to educate, uh, whether you're in a pure academic place or not. Um, and so I, I think we're natural educators. You know, I think we've learned a lot from the, the pandemic of, you know, what can be done, you know, by Zoom, uh, you know, uh, distantly. And so, you know, I hope to see, you know, that expanse. And, you know, we may see uh, more distant frozen sections, uh, uh, you know, more distant secondary consults all digitally. I know we're already moving in those directions, but I think, you know, we'll see more of that. You know, we've got a, uh, there's always a next generation of hotshots that are going to bring in new technology to our fields. And so, again, AI is not going to replace us. We're going to embrace AI and it's going to help make us better pathologists, right? We're going to embrace digital microscopy and digital imaging and the like. And so, no, I think it's going to be super exciting. I think we have a, a lot of new tools and, you know, I, you know, I would just always love the, the energy that the next generation brings. You got to, you know, we're like vampires. We're getting old here. We got to, we got to steal some of that energy from you young guys. I love it. And we were actually talking about this before uh, you joined. It's just amazing. I mean, the, that pathology really is at the forefront of everything. I mean, it's, it's kind of a selective pressure almost because, you know, there might be uh, limitations with funds and such, but I, I, like you said, I mean, I think it's amazing that pathology has really embraced some of these technologies and um, it's, it's exciting. I think everything you've said has been really inspiring. It's going to be really fun. 
since I'm so inspired always by by you, I think that one last thing that I want to discuss is the pipeline issue. So, you know, we know that health sciences majors and medical students, right? If we think of medical laboratory science careers or pathology careers, we have anecdotally got a pipeline issue where people don't see us enough. And now, you know, it may be the time to leverage COVID-19 in a way, right? Where this could be the, the, the silver lining to this horrible gray cloud where we are part of the national conversation. Like testing is obviously front and center. Uh, and so from your perspective, uh, how is it that we can best leverage the situation to kind of address the pipeline? Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, you, you bring up a couple of great points is, you know, we demonstrate how vitally important our practice is, right? And, you know, you can, you, you can extrapolate this in, in all different directions, right? You know, uh, without a without a pathologist, what is this tumor? I mean, so you know, every, not just the pandemic, but everything we're absolutely uh, vital uh, uh, vital for. And I think again, you know, the, the way I leverage this is, you know, if if we act like a commodity, we'll become a commodity. And so to me, and and so you know, Colin, I'm sorry that we you know ruined Earth for you, and you're going to have to recycle more, etc. But we're also going to throw on your generation. I want you to be a new generation of pathologists, and that's what I tell our residents. I said, you know, we've got to get out of the laboratory. You're going. I want you to be an outstanding expert in whatever you want to be. Um, but then, in addition to that, I want you to do more. And, you know, I think, you know, the uh, when you see people that, that are doing more, you know, then they're not an old gray pathologist living in a, in a basement that, you know, nobody hardly ever sees. But, you know, they're, they're at the table where important healthcare care uh, decisions are being made. They're leading some of those teams. You know, that becomes exciting. And that's something that I want to be right. I don't want to be hidden away in a basement. I want to be, you know, continuing to learn, continuing to build my skill sets, and then being able to use those skill sets to help patients in a different way. We're helping patients with our ultimate diagnostic skills. We can also help them in care delivery. You know, one of the uh, topics I was, we were just talking about on my, my, my last meeting was, you know, the, the, the Santa Fe project and lab 2.0, right? How can we use laboratory results in population health management? That could be ours if we want to own that. You know, you heard it here, folks. Uh, if you want to become as successful and awesome as Dr. Prokop, you have to uh, master your art. You have to become indispensable. Uh, think about expanding into other areas and make sure that you have a seat at the table. Uh, but even then, you know, you'd have to have like a special ingredient that not, not only Dr. Prokop has uh, in order to achieve, uh, you know, all of this amazing stuff that he has. You know, this enthusiasm is infectious. And so, you know, as we come to the end of this discussion, Dr. Prokop, I have one last ask. Can you uh, lead us out of this podcast interview by perhaps addressing the uninitiated science student? Let's say that it's uh, um, an undergrad, like, you know, a biology major who does not know anything about the lab or pathology. Uh, give them, you know, take us away by giving them a one minute spiel about why this is the best career ever. Yeah, well, you know, I think this, you know, speaks to your, your pipeline issue, you know, both the undergrad, you know, even, you know, down, down into high school. I went back this last year to my high school to try to, to try to inspire those young people to, to go into, you know, science, technology, pathology, uh, medicine, pathology. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, where else can you actually use in-depth scientific skills 
to 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 come at the, to to describe the answer to a disease that a patient has on which their entire future will hinge. You know, so uh, there, there is a um, quote from William Osler that I love, and I give it in front of my my medicine colleagues when they ask me to to talk, and they ask me to come back, so I must be okay. <laughs> and it is there are three phases of treatment. William Osler, there are three phases of treatment. Diagnosis, diagnosis, diagnosis. So take those scientific skills. We're going to use them uh, for good in a really practical way that is going to help Ms. Jones, who has a uh, new nodule, or someone who has a pulmonary infiltrate. And we are we 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 may not be seen by that person, but we are going to be instrumental in them getting well. Support for the Free Path Pod podcast comes from listeners who like it and share it with their friends. So go ahead, send someone the link. And be sure to subscribe to Path Pod wherever you download your podcasts. Path Pod is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not medical advice. As always on the podcast, any views expressed are solely those of the person speaking and do not necessarily represent their employers, their affiliated institutions, affiliated professional organizations, other speakers on the program, their friends, their families, their pets, or anyone involved in the production and distribution of this podcast. Thanks for listening to PathPod. PathPod.